The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services, Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. If you need an opinion from experts in the area of insurance and mortgages, Denise and Lori are great people to talk with. If you need to find them, just visit the cfax1070.com website. Look under Shows. There you'll find us, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe, and their contact information is there. Or you can always find me, either on the CFAX website, online, or on social media. As a good friend of mine has said many times before, if you can't find me online, I am doing something wrong. Uh, If you are looking for an expert realtor who has uh, had a lot of experience here in town, you can always give me a call as well, too. be happy to give you further advice on a purchase or sale of property. I've been doing this now for 27 years. be happy to help you as well, too. There's been a lot of conversation out there around the latest provincial budget proposals. Uh, This is a real estate show, of course. So in terms of real estate, the hot items around the budget are the foreign buyer tax, the additional property transfer tax for properties over $3 million. Yes, there are those properties here in Greater Victoria. And finally, the hottest topic, which is implementation of the speculation tax. Now, our show isn't meant to be political, and everyone has their own opinion on these matters. However, today, we'll have on the line leaders in the real estate industry who will give you more insight on these matters. On the phone today with us will be the president of the Vancouver Real Estate Board, Jill O'Dill, president of the British Columbia Real Estate Association, Jim Stewart, and also the chief executive officer of the Ontario Real Estate Association, Tim Hudak. It's going to be a really interesting discussion. Let's start our show with our weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about real estate, call us on our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. Or you can find us online at, again, www.cfax1070.com, and we will discuss it on the air. We had a phone call this week from Ronan. He was asking about how much deposit he needs to put down, specifically on a purchase that he's looking at, which is $700,000. Great question. Um, People often ask this question. You know, sometimes it's a regional answer as well, too. But let's first discuss exactly what a deposit is. A deposit uh, is what they call earnest money. It's a stakeholder. Uh, What The reason why there has to be a deposit from the part of a buyer is a contract, in order to be considered legal, needs a monetary consideration. So when you're buying something, you're not only writing a contract with your promises and your um, uh, and expectations as well, too. You also need to uh, basically formalize the legal contract with a monetary consideration. So on a $700,000 house, there is a lot of uh, ways to approach this. Now, a little while ago, I had a, a buyer say to me, well, I only want to put down a $1,000 deposit. I think it was a $300,000 uh, purchase at the time. Uh, and I asked her, I said, well, you know, why is that? But of course, my question is, is that all the earnest money she had available at the moment? Uh, I, I didn't understand what her reasoning was. And she said to me, she says, well, I had a relative who bought a house uh, elsewhere in British Columbia, and that's all she needed to put down. That's fair, because, you know, the the legal requirement as far as earnest money and cash is concerned is it only needs to be a dollar. 
you can actually have a legal agreement in place with literally, a, I was going to say a $1 bill. It's a loony nowadays. So that is possible. However, consider this. The seller of your contract there needs to consider the strength of your offer because if you have a deposit that is $1,000, there is a higher likelihood that you might change your mind midway through. So even after you've removed all of your conditions, if you have a change of heart or circumstances change, if the deposit is minimal, there's a high probability that you might just say, forget about it, I'll walk away from this, I'll walk away from my $1,000 or $100 or whatever the figure is. From the seller's standpoint, the contract is a lot stronger if the deposit is strong. So on the flip side, I'll give you another example. We had a sale, I think it was two years ago now, uh, in the Uplands. And it was a competing offer situation, as we've seen a lot of over the past few years. Uh, it was a cash buyer, so they did not require financing. They didn't require uh, inspection conditions or any of that kind of stuff. And they needed to make sure that they were going to be the winning offer. So they had a $500,000 deposit. They were they're all in. They were committed. They wanted the house. They weren't going to change their mind. That was a very strong play on the part of the buyer because it showed their intent. It showed their ability to go ahead with the sale. And it goes without saying, we managed to secure that deal. And uh, like I said, the, the seller was very happy with that. Could you imagine that the seller had uh, the decision to make between two similar offers, one with a $500,000 deposit and one with a $1,000 deposit. There's really no comparison, right? Uh, actually, even if the $1,000 deposit was a higher figure, let's just say that those people were willing to pay more money, but they could only give a minimal deposit, it is still a weaker offer because there's a greater chance that things could go awry there. Getting back to your question, Ronan, you've got a $700,000 house. Well, uh, a lot of people feel that 5% uh, is a fair number. Um, you know, so there we go. That's thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. It really depends on uh, the circumstance. Now, the other thing too, as I said with that client of ours before, if money, if the deposit is difficult to obtain at this moment, not to say that you don't have it. Sometimes people have it in investments. If they've got it, if it's a first-time buyer who's taking money out of their RRSP, it's going to take some time with the process. You could always formulate the offer so that you have a smaller deposit at start, but you increase it perhaps once all the conditions are removed. Uh, it's a show of faith again. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, when is that deposit payable? Now, uh, it is common to see an offer deposit payable once the acceptance is in place. Bearing in mind that there might be conditions. You might still have subject to financing. You might still have subject to building inspection, all of those things. Um, we are seeing it quite often uh, nowadays. It's relatively new. I, I don't remember seeing it a lot maybe 15 years ago where buyers are now offering their deposit once the conditions are removed. So they're not giving any earnest money until they've satisfied all of their conditions. Is that a bad thing? I'm going to say no, actually, and, and I'll tell you why. Because that deposit, first of all, doesn't belong to the seller. The seller never gets the deposit. The deposit gets held in trust, usually in the buyer agent's trust account. Uh, and it gets transferred over on the closing date. The um, timing of the deposit is such that, you see, the buyer, the buyer's deposit is only at risk after they've removed their conditions. 
So if they've satisfied themselves with building inspection, with uh, title review, with financing and all that, and they've removed their conditions, then they cannot get their deposit back. Now, if they've paid their deposit up front and they have all those things, say something comes up with a building inspection and they change their mind and back out of the deal, uh, yes, they will get their deposit back if they've already paid it. Uh, however, there is a, a flow, a mechanical flow that happens because once the real estate brokerage has received the check and has deposited into the trust account, it takes a couple of weeks to retrieve that in the event that the contract does not uh, go through fruition. So that's the reason why it's a lot easier, frankly, to have a deposit payable once conditions are removed. And it is another reason why that's the way that we see it happening more often. So Ronan. The deposit of your $700,000 house. Uh, I don't think you're going to get away with $10,000. Uh, $25,000 is probably a minimum. Uh, a show of strength would be $35,000, $50,000, or even more, depending on the circumstance. If you're having to fight for it, uh, if it is a multiple offer situation, I don't know where you're buying. $700,000 for a house is hard to find today. So it may, in fact, be a multiple offer situation. You're going to want to find a way to um, make your offer as attractive as possible. And the deposit is one of the ways to do that. If you don't have access to that cash right now, you can always talk to your bank about maybe a line of credit. You can always talk to relatives for a short-term uh, loan, as it were. Thanks for calling in, Ronan. If the rest of the uh, rest of the listeners have a question about real estate that you like answered in our show, visit the cfax1070.com website or call our hotline at 250-414-6540. By the way, if you want to hear past shows, you can go to the CFAX website because our episodes are streaming there, or you can check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And by the way, we're always looking for more guests as well. So if you have a real estate product or service that you like highlighted here, I'd be happy to have you. Just give us a call. We'll have a chat, and uh, we'll see about getting you on the show. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about new provincial budget and uh, items and how it affects real estate. Back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. There's been a lot of conversation out there about what's happening in the real estate markets in the Lower Mainland and British Columbia based on some of the proposals that the current government has prescribed in terms of the B.C. budget. On the line right now, we have with us the president of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, Jill O'Dell. Jill, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Tony. appreciate you having me. Yes. Jill, tell us about what's happening in Vancouver right now as we speak. What's going on in the marketplace? Uh, the marketplace is actually um, it's still um, quite active. Uh, townhomes and condos, um, the sales-to-active listing ratio on those is still very high. They're very much in demand. Um, detached, however, um, single-family-style homes are, uh, have slowed down quite a bit in, over the last few months. Um, actually veering into what we would call um, buyers a buyer's market. Wow. Uh, you know, I think one of the things is it's due time because uh, in Vancouver, I guess it's happening here, so we're thinking it will like to happen in Vancouver as well too, where we've had a strong market for so many years. It's time for a bit of a, uh, I think correction is the wrong word, right? Just time for, for a, uh, a balancing act stepping in here. You know, very accurate. Um, and, and then the difference is, is a lot of the buyers 
um, are also venturing into the condo and townhome sector, uh, which also takes them out of the detached market as well. And part of that um, certainly could be attributed uh, due to affordability. Um, the other portion of that might be um, a little bit of, is a little bit of a changing need for um, for the clients out there right now. Okay, so let's let's just cover this topic right now because when people hear you or or any of us say that the single family detached market in Vancouver specifically is softening. Sometimes people think, oh my goodness, this must mean that prices are going to start plummeting and, and things are going to start being affordable. Uh, that It certainly doesn't mean that. Um, okay. We haven't actually seen a change um, of any uh, nature really in the detached category as of yet. Um, it doesn't mean that that could never happen, of course, um, but... Um, but just it's just it's just more balanced. I think I think that's we're, we've been very used to um, an incredibly active market with um, it being impossible to attain a home and not be in a multiple offer. Whereas now that's that's not so much the case um, in detached, particularly going more into the high end. Yeah. So I mean, what what are we looking at for pricing right now in the detached detached market right now? It's still in the one point six million dollar range. Would be the um, House price index or the HPI on um, on properties um, for detached. So yeah. it's still quite high. So, but the only difference that really is of um, interest, though, is the gap between the two is certainly narrowed a bit yeah. between the townhomes and the condos, and you know the range to make that jump. Yeah. So basically, Vancouver is becoming a taller city. Yeah. <laughs> Well said. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about uh, the government uh, policies here. So first of all, uh, easy one to talk about, foreign buyer tax. Now, this is nothing new because in Vancouver it was implemented August 2016, right? Yes. All right, so what happened in your marketplace after the implementation of that buyer tax, the foreign buyer tax? Well, it's interesting. I've gotten a lot of questions about that, and particularly after we hit the one-year mark of, of it being in, in place. Um, what We didn't see a drastic change of, of any nature. Um, what's interesting is, is I just um, got stats recently from Data BC, and uh, Metro Vancouver as a whole, is um, their estimate is 3.6% are uh, foreign buyers. Uh, okay. So we're not talking about a uh, large proportionate of the market that it could even affect. Okay, you know, all right, I, I get frustrated by this, I, and I have my own personal opinions as well, too. You see, so many people have been, uh, their conjecture is, oh, we're being overrun by foreign buyers. You know, Vancouver must be 20%, 50%, yet these numbers have been out for a while. CMHC uh, released a report in October that basically said Vancouver was whatever it is, uh, 4.8% in detached and 7.2% in, in condos. That's not a big part of the marketplace, right? Right. Um, Data BC said that all of BC, the uh, percentage-wise, was 3.3%. All right. So this foreign buyer tax thing really is a minimal impact. And um, as you guys saw, it slowed the market down for a bit because I think people were sort of taking this wait-and-see attitude, right? Uh, absolutely. It certainly would affect it there. And... Um, it, it did, um, if anything, it made people sit back and, and think, oh, is this going to change the market? Should I be apprehensive? Mm. Uh, but even still, we didn't see a great detail. As, as you um, mentioned earlier, I mean, um, our sales are, have been absolutely um, 
there's just not enough supply. People are buying houses left, right, and center as far as condos and townhomes are concerned. Yeah. We're on the line right now with Jill O'Dell, who is the president of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. How many members of the board now? Is it 16,000? Um, we are around 14,500 right now. Okay, well, the listener should know that Vancouver is, has 14,500, and the province as a whole has around, uh, I'm going to say, 21 or 22,000, Jill? Yes, that's accurate. Yeah, okay. So you guys you guys are, are, are the juggernaut here. Um, going, going back to the foreign buyer tax, it was meant to cause uh, affordability to happen in the area, but because numbers are, uh, prices are as high now as ever, has it worked? Uh, you know, I, I, we stand by what we've said the whole time is that taxes don't make homes more affordable, and they most certainly don't increase supply, and supply is what we're lacking right now. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so um, let's move to the big one uh, that is coming. All right, so first of all, uh, on, on, a, on a smaller scale, there's the new property transfer tax edition, and that is on properties over $3 million. We don't need to talk about that right now. That's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this speculation tax that the government wants to bring in. Let's talk about that for a sec. Okay. Yeah. So for our uh, listeners, um, anyone who uh, owns a property in British Columbia who is not paying taxes within British Columbia and it's not being used for full-time rental, they're going to end up paying a uh, basically a, a vacancy tax. You guys already have a vacancy tax in Vancouver. Um, let's talk about that. What, what are your thoughts, Jill? Well, well, again, um, the reasons that they're putting them in place are, you know, what's the goal? Um, I think they feel that this is going to make an impact on um, more availability and, and it may push the occasional person certainly into selling their property because they can no longer afford it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amount, though, that we're talking about probably isn't, um, it's still a lot, don't get me wrong, and it will cause hardship for many people who've worked hard, you know, to have potentially a second, you know, property, yeah. especially when they start venturing into well, other it, areas of BC, not downtown Vancouver even. And by the way, we have to clarify here, we're not talking foreign investors here. We're talking anybody, including Canadians, who are, uh, who are getting income outside of British Columbia. Great point. Yeah. yeah. So it can Great. be in Alberta. We see tons of snowbirds who have occasional properties here in Victoria and Vancouver. These are people that are going to have to pay this tax. And to give listeners an example, uh, we right now have a client who's got a $3 million uh, condo um, in a couple years' time at 5% of assessed value. That means they're going to need to spend $60,000 a year on this additional tax just for the privilege of having their home. Right. Um, again, it, it's not changing affordability for people getting into our market. We have, you know, our house price index uh, across the board is quite high, so it makes it more difficult for people to get in. It's not addressing any of those changes. Um, if, if it would increase supply, again, time is the only thing that will be able to um, show us if it actually forces people into selling. And I'm not sure that that, you know, should be the goal when it's, um, like you mentioned, you know, a BC resident that's worked hard their whole life to have a property, mm-hmm. um, is that the best way to address our supply issue? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I the certainly st- can think of other ways that would be um, productive. Supply. That wouldn't harm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, uh, talking about a, a $3 million condo, these people, if they decide to sell, it's going to go back to the market. That is not the affordable market. So <laughs> that's not going to add affordability. The secondary thing is 
they're not going to rent this unit out because, again, that is not a rentable, worthy unit. You're, you know, that is not an investment property, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. God. You know, Jill. A lot, a lot of the places that people own as their second property and or travel back and forth, some people, you know, um, would be, um, you know, staying there five months a year, but it may not be, quote, their principal residence. Uh, there's so much to talk about. Jill Odell, thanks for coming on the line, Jill. Um, oh, the, the website for the Vancouver Real Estate Board? Sorry? Uh, what's the website oh. for the Vancouver uh, Real Estate Board? www.rebgv.org. Rebgv.org. Read the State Board of Greater Vancouver.org. Thanks for coming, Jill. I look forward to seeing you again. Uh, and to the rest of our listeners, we'll take a quick little break. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster. Mortgage Broker with Dominion Lending Services, Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, Insurance Manager for Island Savings. We're talking about what's happening here in the province of British Columbia in terms of real estate. Of course, the provincial budget that came out some time ago and the items that are of concern not only to the real estate community, but also to consumers or should be concerns to consumers as a whole. Right now, we have on the line our guest. Jim Stewart. Jim is the president of the British Columbia Real Estate Association. Jim, thanks for coming. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, for those who are listening here, the British Columbia Real Estate Association is our provincial level of uh, governance, if you will. So there are 11 real estate boards in British Columbia. Victoria is one of them. There's 10 others. Uh, there is the Provincial Association, which is BCREA, the British Columbia Real Estate Association. And then finally, there's the Canadian Real Estate Association, uh, which is the uh, the national um, body. And they are the people who administer things that consumers may be familiar with, including Realtor.ca, but BCREA has a lot of responsibilities out there in the community. Jim, let's just start off by asking you the question, uh, what is BCREA's thoughts and position about the budget as it was released? Well, the uh, the budget, of course, the, the big uh, item that we're all very concerned about is the discussion around speculation tax mm-hmm. uh, and how that's going to affect uh, the uh, the overall marketplace and, and you know, we we're we're familiar with foreign buyers uh, in certain sectors, but uh, speculation tax is a different uh, a different taxation. So we're real interested to get uh, the through the consultation process with the provincial government. Well, I think that's a really important point because uh, there must be some consultation. I mean, as it was rolled out, there's very little information, and um, there is speculation on the speculation tax, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the the challenge is uh, a lot around uh, second homes. Uh, I don't. I've got lots of friends that have uh, vacation properties. I'm sure you do. Uh, that begin to tax that. A lot of the those properties have been in your family for years. So uh, it it and it doesn't deal with the big discussion of about affordability. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's really uh, what we need to do is have discussions about affordability and what governments can do to help first-time home buyers. Those of us that have been in the marketplace for a while, we're, we're protected. But the young families that are trying to get in, and the only way that government can deal with that is increased supply. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have to tell you, I, I was having a conversation about this topic just the other day with someone I don't know. I mean, they, um, she knows that I, I, I have this radio show. She knows that I'm in the real estate business. And she said to me, oh, this is great. You know, uh, with all these things coming in, we're going to start seeing some affordable housing really quick. Um, to which I said, and I think you would agree as well, too, the controls that are being uh, put in place here may start collecting taxes, but the whole act of building and creating affordable housing is still many years away, right? Absolutely. And and it's not government's job to build affordable housing. It's government's job to uh, get rid of the bureaucracy so uh, free enterprise can build those. And uh, I'm sure you know, I know lots of developers that are happy to do it, but getting through the process of creating that inventory uh, is years. By the time you say, right, I'm going to buy a piece of property, I'm going to build 24 units on it of rental accommodation, um, it, it takes forever to get the actual process underway and get it built. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, this is something that seemed to be missing from the budget was a conversation about streamlining the process in municipalities. Yeah, and, and it's a huge challenge, and it's not just Victoria or uh, the regional districts. It's all over the province, and in my travel as the president of the Provincial Association, I hear it from realtors all across British Columbia, and quite frankly, all across uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. We're all struggling with that same challenge. Yeah, We're on the line right now with Jim Stewart. Jim is the president of the British Columbia Real Estate Association. Uh, affordable housing, you know, the, the, the other part, too, is the real estate community seems to be under, I shouldn't say seems to be, I know, because I'm one of them, you're one of them as well. We're often under fire about the fact that, oh, you know, we've driven up prices and, and um, we have no interest in affordable housing. But it's being brought up by other agents before. Hey, we'd love there to be more affordable inventory because we could probably sell a lot more properties. Well, sure we can. And now the challenge, uh, as, as you run into in your practice, I know I do, that uh, the, the pressure is on the limited inventory that's coming onto the market. Certainly in my trading area, our inventory is is about 25% its normal uh, inventory levels. Mm-hmm. So when you want to buy a house uh, or your clients want to buy a house, they're competing uh, against all of the other people in the neighborhood that want to buy that house. And when you start seeing stories of uh, half a dozen or 10 uh, offers on the same property and, and more than market value, because as you know, uh, and I know is I just want to buy a house. I just want to get my kids in school Uh, and, and, and they can change the house to what they want, but they just want to get into that neighborhood and, and hopefully not pay too much money for it. Yeah, well, you know, you've brought up a point, uh, and that is the this whole aspect of multiple offers and bidding wars. It's been demonized in the past couple of years by this nameless, faceless foreign buyer. And the as you just pointed out, the reality is it's a function of no inventory. It's a function of the fact that our local buyers here don't have very many choices, and they have to fight with other locals to try to get that house, Absolutely. right? And and statistically, uh, we've been able to prove uh, through uh, our economics department uh, that the foreign buyers represent 
uh, certainly in the Nanaimo area, in the regional district, uh, our numbers suggest that it's 4.4%. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure what it is in Victoria, but I think it's about 4%. Yeah. And certainly that's the case in Vancouver, um, that it's actually less than that now. Uh, so um, th- that's not relevant to my way of thinking of, of, of dealing with the issue of, of inventory. The fact is, we've got a great place to live, and everybody wants to be here. Yeah. Well, it's it's that whole argument about the uh, people who support more supply versus people who support cutting off demand. So, you know, how and this this is what the um, items in the budget here are trying to do, is to cut off the demand from outside forces, right? And I don't know that you, uh, you can ever... Uh, win on that discussion. Uh, I go back uh, when, when I was a much younger guy and Expo 86 uh, was a terrific uh, uh, event Success, in yeah. Vancouver. And what, the whole theme was, let's open the world. Mm-hmm. Let's invite the world. Yeah. And they came. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and they've been coming ever since. And we opened the floodgates, right? And, Absolutely. And, and as I've said many times before, I mean, we're victims of our own success, right? Because we can't keep uh, this region a secret anymore. And you've got buyers that come from all over the place. It's not just uh, we get European buyers. We get uh, Eastern Canada. Uh, you look at what's gone on this winter uh, and have a talk with some of those people in Halifax or Montreal mm-hmm. and uh, Ottawa. And they're going, I can hardly wait. Yeah. Uh, so I can move back to British Columbia. Okay. So here's the other thing: the 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 idea of many of the 30 points of this um, this program here is that they want to um, not only stop the increase of values, but the government does want to cause decreases in values. I mean, what do you feel about that as the as the president of BCRA? Well, I, uh, I think that's shocking that you want to decrease the value. So all of those taxpayers that have been paying uh, their way for so many years, then you want to take uh, devalue the biggest asset families have that allows them to uh, give a better lifestyle for themselves and their families, and you want to create lower values to all of those people? I, how fair is that? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, well, it's not fair. and that's the thing, because there is always there is always the expectation of a fair rate of return on real estate, and and to have a um, to have a, an outside party say no, we want to stop this and we want to tune it down. I mean, it seems really unfair. It's totally unfair, and I don't think that that's uh, that's good tax policy, um, and uh, really the, that's going to affect the whole community and the economy. Um, and if you think of um, certainly your clients over the years, the majority of their wealth has come from their real estate holdings. How true. Well, uh, that's the challenge. It is. Well, Jim, hey, thanks for joining us online here today. Uh, I, I just want to make sure that listeners know BCREA has a lot of economic studies and papers on their website. Uh, and, Jim, yep. the website, if I'm not mistaken, is bcrea.bc.ca, right? And uh, have a look at it, and uh, we're happy to uh, get you any other information that we can. Great. Thanks for joining us. for you, Tony. Oh, you bet. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. 
Hi there, and thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking today about the effect of the 30 items that were discussed in the B.C. Provincial Budget that re- was released a little while ago, uh, related to real estate, of course. And right now on the line, we have with us the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of the Ontario Real Estate Association, Tim Hudak. Tim, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Tony. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, Tim, listen, before we begin, I just need to give the listeners an introduction uh, about who you are. So you not only are the uh, CEO of the um, largest, uh, Orea is the largest uh, provincial association in Canada, right? How That's many, correct. Yeah. How, how many members do you guys have? 70,000 members. <laughs> no, I know, and I know them all. Yeah. I know them all by the first name. Oh, of course you do. Of course you do. So we talked about this earlier with uh, Vancouver President Jill uh, O'Dell. Um, so Vancouver, of course, has around 14,500 members. Toronto itself has something. It's like 44,000, right? Yeah. In, in fact, I think it's even a bit higher now. Yeah. Certainly um, a lot more have come into the market uh, in 2016-2017. Wow, so 70,000 members. So now your background, though, Tim, before you were the CEO, you spent some time uh, in politics. So Tim was elected four times uh, for the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario. He was a member of provincial parliament, an MPP. By the way, for us BCers, that's an MLA. Uh, and you were uh, you served between 1995 and 2016. You were also the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario between 2009 and 2014. Um, some portfolios that you had included uh, um, culture, tourism, and recreation, uh, consumer and business services, and development and mines. I got those right, right? Yeah, exactly. The, I, I'm guilty as charge of all of those things, Tony. Okay. Well, the other thing, too, is you were, um, when you were in opposition, you were the critic responsible for uh, both municipal affairs and housing and public infrastructure renewal, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, um, I represent the Niagara area. So for your listeners in B.C. and across Canada, I was the western Niagara, some of the grape-growing wine country, and down on the border with Buffalo and Fort Erie is where I'm from. Uh-huh. Uh, I had the opportunity to serve for 21 years. And then when I, I left politics in 2016, was looking for you know a place where I could go on a mission every day, be excited about it. And I had had a longstanding relationship with the real estate uh, profession and the Ontario Real Estate Association particularly. And when their CEO retired, I threw my hat in the ring. Good for you. Yeah, and you've been doing a heck of a job, and, and I have to say to the listeners, too, you, you and your team put on an event uh, in February uh, in Toronto. It was the uh, Aurea Reality um, event. There were 900 agents there. I had the privilege of being there. I think I was the only guy from the West that was, uh, that was in the room. But um, that was amazing. The, the education and the learning experiences for the real estate profession were amazing. Thank you, and I, I really do appreciate the fact that you made that uh, long uh, long commute to Toronto for the conference. We were super excited about it. We called it the Reality Conference, and we called it Reality because it was a no-holds-barred, eyes-wide-open, candid discussion about the biggest issues impacting Canadian real estate today. Mm-hmm. And we were very pleased that our numbers went from you know, about 200 or so the previous years up over 900. It was amazing. Amazing. Well, hey, hey listen, Tim, I, I, I got to ask you this question just to hit the hammer in the head uh, to start our conversation here. You, you, yeah. You're in the East. Well, what we call the East for you guys this is the center of the universe, right? <laughs> yeah. 
right. Um, what do you think about all the stuff going on in BC relating to um, things like the speculation tax, uh, foreign buyer tax, all of these things? I, I'm very concerned about many of the measures coming from British Columbia, both as a Canadian and as an Ontarian. I mean, one of the defining features of becoming middle class is home ownership. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to live in the lower mainland, beautiful part of the country. I lived out west for a while. Like, I, I get it. But successive governments at provincial, municipal, and federal levels have made home ownership harder and harder to attain. And we will undermine the great Canadian middle class, make it harder to get into. That's not good for our country. No. No. So, you know, Ontario, of course, Vancouver implemented the foreign buyer tax uh, back in August 2016. April of last year, Ontario inter- uh, introduced the uh, fair housing uh, program, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, from our standpoint over here in the West, uh, Ontario seemed to do a lot more consultation and implemented it uh, a little more, um, how can I say, uh, with more planning than the nine days that we had here in British Columbia. Uh, um, again, I mean, how, how has the fair housing uh, program worked out for the GTA, the horseshoe, the golden horseshoe? Yeah, well, there's a number of issues around that, but let me, let me hit the core ones. I'm happy to do some follow-up questions if you like, Tony. So basically, think of Ontario as, you know, what the lower mainland was, but on the PVR with a pause. So we're 18 months behind. Yeah. So the very same, you know, rapid acceleration in real estate prices that Vancouver and Lower Mainland experienced, we saw in the greater Toronto area, about 18 months later. And very high-profile media exposure and also a government that had been in office for a long time. And, you know, coming from my experience in politics, government's first order of business is always to be re-elected. So we saw it coming down the road, because we saw it happen in B.C. So we went to the government and said, okay. If you're going to do these things, let's do so in a, in a fashion that's going to be least disruptive to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. For people who are moving to Ontario from abroad who are contributing to our healthcare system or education system or entrepreneurs that are opening businesses and creating jobs, you know, give them an exemption to the tax or at least a rebate. And my goodness, make sure it's implemented in a time frame that's not going to interrupt existing deals and cause a big negative domino impact. <laughs> Which is what happened in Vancouver, yeah. So we had the, you know, the fortune of some advance, and we also did some very proactive work with the government. Certainly helped. I mean, I was a PC leader, as you indicated, but I had a very good relationship with Premier and one of the ministers. They listened to us. And while taxes on housing across the board are too high already, uh-huh. at least they did so in a less damaging way than we saw in British Columbia. Yeah. Okay. You know what? That's an interesting point you just brought up. So at the time when that was implemented, the Ontario uh, the Liberal government consulted with uh, organized real estate? Yeah, they did. Um, we, um, it, you know, they, they had a couple things there, Tony. We, we did come to them with a plan, right? I think it's often very important in public affairs that you don't just try to stop something from happening or pull your hair out and, you know, whine and moan. You've got to understand where a government is coming from and put other alternatives on the table. Mm-hmm. So we did that. And I think it also helped that you know, my team and then I, as having just retired from the legislature, um, were known commodities. We had opened the doors. We had an hour-long meeting with the Premier, for example, and hashed out a bunch of issues and had a lot of progress on some other important issues to realtors and, more importantly, to homeowners, people who want to own a home. Yeah. 
You know, it, th this was a piece that appeared to be missing here in British Columbia because there was, uh, in my opinion, anyways, very little consultation between uh, the provincial real estate association and government before the uh, first foreign buyer tax was implemented, and even right now with the the new budget. The the other thing, though, too, is the fact that, um, you know, it, it uh, <laughs> a, a lot of this has not seemed to make much of a difference. And, and I think we haven't seen that in Toronto either. I mean, that fair housing uh, uh, program was supposed to cause affordability to happen, but has it? Well, you know what, we also brought other ideas to the table the government has committed to act upon. I'll give you two examples. Number one, the real problem here is lack of inventory. There's not enough supply of homes in the market. No. And when you have four people chasing fewer homes, you know, basic economics tells you price has gone up. Yes. We brought forward five ideas for the government to implement increasing supply in the marketplace. They've committed to those items. Now, we've got to make sure that when the rubber hits the road, they actually happen, but they've made public commitments. And secondly, Tony, we said, you know what, we also have to raise the standards when it comes to realtor education uh, and discipline. Mm -hmm. The profession is just so an important part of the decisions that average families make when they're buying a home. We've got to make sure we have the highest standards in North America. We put that on the table, and we're well on the way of getting there. Yes. Well, and, and this is the thing. I mean, a, a lot of the changes have occurred, uh, particularly in B.C., because of the fact that there have been some bad practices that happen in a big marketplace like Vancouver. I mean, I know Toronto is a very competitive marketplace for real estate agents with, you know, over 44, 45,000 uh, agents. It's a, it's, it's a busy time. But, I mean, how do, how do we achieve perfection here? Is it possible in both the marketplaces of Ontario and British Columbia? that, you know, humankind touches can never be perfect, but it can always try to be better. So here's a couple of examples, Tony, what we said. You know, our, our education program has to come up to speed. It was basically our legislation was written in 2002. That was when most deals were done by fax machines, free yes. social media, right? Yeah. So let's get the legislation up, up to modern standards, modern demands. Let's make sure, though, that those realtors who break the rules, those who take advantage of a customer, instead of, you know, traditional associations defending the lowest common denominator saying, oh, there's a misunderstanding. Now, we've got a different view. If you take advantage of somebody, we want them booted out of the profession. Mm -hmm. We want the ability to see licenses suspended because the members are out there working hard. We want to make sure they continue to do so and not have individuals ripping off customers making the biggest purchase of their lives. So we've taken a very strong line, strong stand in Ontario, on raising the bar around professional standards and ethics. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, again, based on the energy that I saw in the room and uh, all of the uh, um, programs that Ontario is going on when I was there at the conference um, back in February, uh, I, I salute you guys. That That is great. But I want to just wrap up in our last few moments here and, and again, talk about that fair housing program here because one of the things that I noticed is that there was a provision there about uh, things like uh, municipalities uh, making uh, government properties available for development, right? Yeah, was, again, that was sort of a suggestion that we had uh, as well. Uh, the biggest landlord in the city of Toronto is uh, the province of Ontario. Yeah. The city of Toronto is the second biggest landlord. So instead of sitting on that land, what can we make available for housing, more options for people? How can we modernize some of our bylaws to allow for mid-rise housing, which can be the key to home ownership for millennials or empty nesters who want to stay close to the grandkids 
but no longer need the big family home. Yeah, you see, I would I would love to hear something like that happen uh, in British Columbia here because that I know of, there hasn't been conversation about releasing properties. <laughs> it's been it's been a very much a discussion about cutting off demand as opposed to adding supply. Yeah, and, and, and politicians are doing that, you know, simply are missing the mark and they're not going to solve the underlying problem of lack of choice and lack of options in the market. But realtors as an association, too, also have a responsibility to put ideas on the table. It's a complex industry. There are a lot of different impacts that policy has. So, you know, realtors need to put good ideas on the table to give people more choice in the marketplace. And to their credit, so far the current government in Ontario has listened, and we hope the other two parties will similarly advance increases in supply as opposed to trying to choke off demand. Well, you know, I, for one, I'm going to keep an eye on what's happening in Ontario. Listen, Tim, thanks very much for coming online. Appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, hope uh, things uh, are going well over there in Ontario. You bet. All the best, Tony. Hope to see you live and in person again soon. And thanks for making the trip here to Toronto. Yes, and to our listeners, thanks for listening. This is The Whole Home Show. We'll be here for you this time next week.